Hey there, I'm Playbook Editor Mike DeBonis. Something a little different today to start the week. I'm joined by Playbook author Ryan Lizza for today's Playbook Daily Briefing. Okay, Ryan, we're truly in the home stretch here. One day to go until Election Day. That means we are running out of precious time to deploy our favorite campaign season cliches. Do you have any favorites, Ryan? Oh, I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm, I'm pretty partial to the uh, the Twitter gag every two years about how it all comes down to uh, Cuyahoga County in Ohio. <laughs> Crucial Waukesha County or Cuyahoga County. Yeah, either, either That's right. I think the uh, former uh, this time around, since uh, Ohio has been trending Republican uh, and it doesn't seem, yeah. like it's, <laughs> doesn't seem like that county is the, the county or state is the bellwether it used to be. Yes. Uh, it does seem that this weekend has been a real uh, hotbed of it all comes down to turnout. Uh, but as we know, the only poll that matters is the one on election day. <laughs> Indeed. So just to run down a couple of things we're watching here, it's been a really interesting final weekend uh, on Saturday. We had three presidents on the campaign trail, a really interesting moment at Donald Trump's rally in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, home of Rolling Rock beer, one of the foulest uh, white beers I've ever <laughs> tasted in my life. Spoken like a true beer uh, snob. But, at, <laughs> but, but he did uh, sort of have this offhand comment about his young rival for... Republican uh, hearts and minds, Ron DeSantis. Tell us, Ryan, what did he say? Couldn't have been any more of a of a classic Trump moment where he's one reading uh, a poll of the potential twenty twenty four GOP field that is completely outdated and when and itself was an outlier and showed Trump with like a fifty point uh, advantage over DeSantis. And in reading the results of a poll that. Uh, is irrelevant at this point. He, you know, he he used his new nickname for Ron DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSanctimonious. I see that Michael Bender at the Times today has a has a piece up uh, with a little bit of the backstory behind this, uh, saying that you know Trump's been uh, workshopping different uh, DeSantis. Uh, nicknames, and they settled on this one through the incredibly scientific process of Trump nickname manufacturing uh, because of this uh, video, apparently, that uh, yes. DeSantis' his wife recently tweeted that was well, it was a kind of like wild video. <laughs> where, it was, it was, I mean, it was wildly sanctimonious. It was. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it basically said God created Ron DeSantis as a uh, as the protector of uh, of our way of life. So um, you know, yeah. Trump being Trump, uh, smart, cluing into something, cluing into a, a, a what he sees as a character flaw, and drawing attention to that kind of wild video. At the same time, you know, he realizes this is his main uh, competition. In our polling, the ones that we do, Mike, with the morning consult, we were looking at that on Sunday, and we have uh, basically the the last one in October, Trump at 49, DeSantis at 24. Yeah. I mean, clearly, these these two characters are going to be, you know, hugely important in the coming months uh, in their sort of jockeying and relations with each other. And this was quite a way, quite a way to sort of kick this off, this sort of this very closely watched uh, relationship, this this sort of jockeying that's going to be happening. And of course, you know, this this comes, this sort of public dismissal of DeSantis comes after you know, aides in both camps have been insisting in these stories for months that, oh, they really d- don't care about each other and there's no rivalry here. Well, there's a rivalry, right? Just a bunch of- and As we, you know, 
final note a croc, on that. A, a croc of something. <laughs> croc of sanctimony. No, but and then uh, Trump, of course, was in Miami on Sunday night with Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. Uh, one person who was not at that rally was Ron DeSantis, the governor who's up for re-election. You know, the backstory there is Trump, of course, endorsed DeSantis last time around, takes credit for making him and uh, says he didn't endorse him this time around because DeSantis, DeSantis never asked. There you go. So uh, we are in the final stretch here, as I mentioned, Ryan, just tell me, where are you going to be on Election Day and why? We have decided to uh, to to ship me off to Nevada for Election Day. You know, that's a, a must win state for Democrats if they want to control the the Senate. Tough path for them if they don't keep their incumbent uh, senator uh, in, in, in Nevada. The early vote there, if you look at some of the expert analysis on the early vote, does suggest a close race, but not not the kind of early votes that the John Ralstons of the world are saying you need if you're a Democratic candidate on Tuesday. And you know, there's also a lot of sort of uh, election fraud intrigue in Nevada uh, on the right, similar to Arizona. So I do think if it's a very close race, especially if the Democrat wins, um, there could be some uh, shenanigans come, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, the other thing to note about Nevada is, you know, there are several competitive House, House races there. There's four congressional districts in the state. Currently, three of them are held by Democrats. It is conceivable that there could be a complete Republican sweep of Nevada. You know, there could be four Republicans uh, representing the state come uh, January, Nevada may be a very good barometer for just how uh, sweeping this the uh, GOP election cycle is. Absolutely, and it sort of get yeah, and and this sort of gets to my next question, which is that we, you know we are expecting uh, Republican gains at least in the House, and what we don't know is whether we're going to have a quote unquote red wave, and that you know, very much seems to be in the eye of the beholder. And Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? I know this yeah. is something that that you've been thinking about. Yeah, two points. One, just on one other thing on Nevada, the governor's race has also tightened quite a bit. You know, some recent polling showing that uh, Sisolak um, is uh, going to have a, a, a tough re-election. He's in some, in some trouble. Yeah, yeah in some trouble. On the red wave question, I and mean, this is really going to be an important one for all of us in the, in the media and how we describe what happens uh, on Tuesday um, and perhaps beyond. And uh, in Playbook Today, we have a little bit of a, a rundown of how to think about that. A couple of stats, if you, you know, I think that are worth keeping in mind. And that is, you know, historically, what happens to a, in the first midterm of a, of a president? They usually lose uh, seats uh, in, in the House. And Bill Clinton, who had the same approval rating that Biden has uh, right now, lost 54 seats. Uh, George Bush is the one that bucked history and actually gained eight seats because that uh, largely due to the atmosphere around uh, the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, Barack Obama, very, very similar approval rating to, to Biden uh, you know, in the mid-40s, and he lost 63 uh, seats in the House. And Donald Trump, who actually had a little, you know, a couple of points higher than Biden at 46% approval rating, he lost 40 seats. So we're in the, you know, in, 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 if you throw out the George W. Bush uh, sort of outlier, you're talking between, in the modern, in the very modern era, you're talking between 40 and 63 seats. That's what, uh, that's what the party out, out of power, excuse me, that's what the party in power loses in a, in, a, in a first midterm in recent presidencies. 
any of those would be at the way upper range of what forecasters are talking about for this yeah, election. Yeah, I think nobody's talking about 60 seats a la 2010. I mean, that's just not even in the conversation right now, but 30 or 40 seats seems to be more like the upper bound. Yeah, and that and, and you know, we've gone the conventional wisdom has shifted pretty fast. You know, just a few weeks ago, most forecasters were in the 20s, right? And yeah. um, you know, we're we're now I, I I think if it's in the 30s, that would be considered um that that would just based on expectations that would be considered a very significant night for republicans historically not so much right last week uh bill sure of the washington monthly had a good article that kind of looked at this a little bit and he you know he sort of posited the question of is it a wave election? You know, we keep referring to this blue wave, red wave, or is it just another presidential, you know, midterm? And, you know, with the exception of that, this George W. Bush election, none of us have covered or experienced really a midterm where it's been something other than a rebuke of the party in power. And uh, does seem that, you know, this is, it's almost normal. Uh, What would be abnormal would be for uh, Democrats to gain seats in the House or lose minimal seats. And, you know, if they keep the Senate, I think that that's that would be seen as a, as a huge victory for them. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's it, it, sometimes it's tough to do this, but it's worth keeping that in mind and realizing that uh, the power shifts in Congress and the White House more more often in, in modern American politics uh, than than previous eras. And the uh, uh, the party out of power, especially in the House, always has a shot of getting back in there uh, two years from now. So I always think it's, you know, you got to be careful about over analyzing what one election means. You know, it's never, you know, it's, ne- it's yeah, never the end. Absolutely. We have, the parties are extremely closely divided right now in either, you know, for, for president, for House control, for Senate control, they almost always have a shot uh, you know, either party almost always has a, has a shot at victory. We don't have one dominant party right now. Yeah. And let that be a plug for your recent deep dive interview on the Deep Dive podcast with Lynn Vavrick of UCLA, who really got into this in her recent book. Uh, one of the big points she makes is just how closely divided the country is and how elections just matter more than they used to. I've been thinking about that book because one of the one of the other points in that book is Given all of the dramatic events of 2020, basically she argue, she and her colleagues argue in that book, nothing changed. COVID didn't change things. The Black Lives Matter movement and protests didn't change things. The electorate was extremely static in, in 2020 despite all of this stuff. That's, you know, so fast forward to 2022. Again, inflation, the Dobbs decision, you know, we, we have big dramatic steady stream of big dramatic uh, events that you you think should move uh, a lot of voters and they don't. People are very, very locked in. On the other hand, just tiny movements can have big, big implications, right? Tiny 30, 50,000 votes is the difference uh, in both 2016 and 2020 uh, over control of the White House. Similarly, in some of these House races, uh, it could be a very small number of votes that decides whether, you know, Pelosi stays in charge or it's Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, very conceivable that control of the Senate anyway is is decided by, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of votes. Um, and it may take us uh, days or weeks to, to figure that out. 
A um, couple other things to watch for this week. Um, so J Joe Biden is expected to leave the country on Wednesday for uh, his latest international trip. Uh, he'll be at the COP27. <laughs> yeah. He'll be at the COP27 climate conference uh, in Egypt and then going to uh, Southeast Asia, Cambodia, and Indonesia for the G20. Um, notably, he has not uh, noticed a the traditional post-midterm news conference. And there seem to be some questions about whether he will actually have one before getting on this plane. Ryan, you know, the, the, this is it's sort of become a tradition along with the president's party uh, taking its lumps in the midterms that the president personally stands in front of cameras yes. and takes his lumps the day after. Uh, we may not get that this time. Yeah, it is sort of this like masochistic moment that you have to undergo uh, right out right after the midterm. Um, I still think he'll do something, but you know, but 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 maybe not. Um, yeah. Why not rip the bandaid off? Do it before he gets on the plane, and uh, not not to say that anything he's going to deal with at either of these conferences is going to be easy. But he is someone who uh, loves foreign policy, loves the you know he loves himself a, an international conference, and there are you know an enormous number of important issues that. Uh, he wants to dig into at, at these at these two conferences, um, you know. So, so politically, I think that do it before you get on the plane, and you know, you leave it behind you in the United States rather than have it have it hanging over you at these two important conferences, where you know the press that's traveling with him uh, is constantly asking about you know midterm reaction. So, I still I still think that's that's what they, where they end up, but it is really it is notable that they. Uh, they, they they just haven't put it on the calendar yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the rest of the week, we'll be just waiting through the fallout from the midterms. Uh, you know, not just how, you know, what it means for Biden, but uh, we'll have plenty of implications on Capitol Hill. Uh, Democrats and House Republicans are both going to have some leadership upheavals. Um, and then we're in the 2024 election cycle. I hate to uh, uh, point that out, Ryan, but are you ready? I mean, I'm ready. And I think, you know, more so than other cycles, these results are really going to shape the the terrain on, on both sides. Um, we might have Trump announced by, the, you know, the time the week, by the by the end of the week. Um, but, you know, yeah. all indications are he's going to do he, it quickly. He seems uh, absolutely primed to just tur turbocharge our Thanksgiving dinner conversations. Thank yeah, you, and then, Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone else is going to have to decide, you know, how, how does that how does that affect uh, their campaigns. We had some other news today just to throw in 2024 by our, by our colleague uh, Alex Eisenstadt, who broke the news that Tom Cotton, interestingly, has let it be known that he's he's taken himself out for 2024. He's not going to be running for president. All indications, everything he was doing seemed like he was going to run. He let that news slip right before election day here, where I think it's going to be, you know, frankly, some, somewhat, somewhat buried. Um, and he's out. So I think we'll have uh, not just Trump, but you'll have some other uh, of, of his rivals either taking themselves out of contention or moving fast to say uh, that they're in. Absolutely. Uh, Playbook's Ryan Lizard, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Be sure to subscribe to the Playbook newsletter if you haven't already. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Mike DeBonis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>